we go. Screen Heat Miami. Oh, yeah. Wow, we are so excited. Still, the energy, the buzz is surrounding us like a great aura off the 12th Miami media film market, my friend. Oh, it was electric. It was. It was really exciting. I mean, imagine after three years and then our virtual events for the last two years with MMFM Digital. And now finally, as I say, back to business. It was, man. Came hard. Yeah, coming hard in the paint like the NBA players would. I think yeah, this one this one was uh it was moving up to Michael Jordan uh level. Yeah. No, it's this, not this, there. You're right. This conference was legendary status for sure. So many great guests, so many great people, but we should definitely intro ourselves as well. Uh this is Screen Heat Miami with your co-host JL Martinez and Dwayne Wade. Ah, the Dwayne Wade of podcasts. <laughs> That's right, Kevin Sharpley. Yes, and we are brought to you by Cinevision, Kijik Multimedia, Chemical, and of course, our flagship Miami Media Film Market Conference. Uh, so many great guests, but one uh, that really stood out and just such an amazing human being. And we were so pl- proud and honored to welcome Brenda Gilbert, which is the subject of today's interview. What a great interview. I mean, man, you can see why Bron or you'll be able to hear <laughs> why Braun is where it is today. Um, at least half of the story, because Braun, which is arguably one of the biggest production, entertainment, digital, I mean, they do a lot of different things. And you're here in the interview, they have six divisions. Yeah. Um, companies in the world, uh, you'll hear their ascent and how they got to where they're at. Brenda is the co-founder. Right, the, co- the co-founder of Braun Media Corporation, which includes Media all Corporation, various verticals and divisions that you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. And, and to hear it from her, you know, from starting in their a room in their house. Right. To where they're at now. You have to hear this journey. I mean, mm. you know, it's it, epic. It, it, yeah, it's epic and, <laughs> and extraordinary. Yeah. And she, you know, she's so down to earth mm-hmm. and, you know just direct about you know what she has to say she's funny and you know just you have to chalk up uh this as you know one of the really good people in the industry i mean yeah 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 this is this is a nice one she definitely is yeah like you're right kevin she is just you know such a sweet person so genuine all about really community and family and uh, you you wouldn't tell just by speaking to her, you know, how much they have accomplished as a company. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's not a lot of braggadocious. It's just really about doing the work and yeah. doing it the right way. And like you said, being one of those uh, good people in the industry. So it was it was a great interview. You did a great job, my friend. Uh, thank you. You know, I miss my co-host, but uh, yes. you were you were all over the place. You were hosting it. Right. everything there uh, at, at MMFM. I mean, I did a couple couple of little tiny things but uh yeah you you had your hands full but uh maybe on you know we definitely uh want to have uh brenda here for a second time so yes there there will definitely be a sequel and we'll get into more sequels a little later on but first uh some of the highlights and the first we did want to touch on a story from variety from about a month ago and this does touch on both braun and miami braun studios according to Variety, did appoint a Web3 advisor to navigate its NFT and token strategy. So they basically brought on board Hayden Snape, the CEO of Dubai's Decentralized Investment Group, or DIG, as a Web3 advisor to the group of companies. I know that you guys get into a little bit of of their new Web3 business in your interview, but uh, what's also a part of that is that the companies are also partnering on interactive games through DIG's Miami-based GameFi Metaverse Company XYZZY, which I understand is some kind of game code, right? Yes, it is. Um, and you know what? We're going to have a gaming, a gaming section of uh, Screen Heat Miami in the coming weeks. So we're really excited about that. But hey, man, when you look at Miami and what has happened here, Miami has fast become a tech headquarters, uh, definitely crypto. And, you know, we did Screen Heat Miami from uh, Bitcoin Conference, Bitcoin 2021. And, you know, 
all the VCs and hedge fund and tech people uh, have traversed the waters here. And so many have moved here. Uh, company right. on top of company on top of company. I have on a hat right now, Altada, which is an AI company that well, one of my companies went through uh, their accelerator program. And I spoke on one of their panels. They opened two offices. They opened an office in West Palm Beach and an office in Miami. Wow. So it's really great to hear uh, that Bron is connected with the company here in the new tech Miami. But what's another, you know, what's really exciting to hear is uh, Bron has moved full into the Web3 space. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about metaverse, we talk about NFT, blockchain. Uh, and so, but that's all kind of encapsulated in this new iteration of what's happening with the internet. We already are experiencing web 2.0, which is more like a flat, you know, you see the websites and everything. Web three has more to do with, I, I try to make it as easy as, easy as possible, the 3Dification of the internet. Mm -hmm. So instead of going to a flat website, you'll be able to go into the website, into the store, pick up the shoe with your avatar, look at it. You'll be able to get sized through your computer's camera because it'll use uh, actually body recognition. Hmm. I mean, that's already available. You know, they just need to pare it down so it's more affordable, but full body recognition from your camera on your phone or on your uh, laptop. And of course, you know, we talk about metaverse hmm. and, you know, I'm pretty well versed in that because I have a metaverse company. Really, it's avatars metaverse. And, you know, we just got picked up for our network show based off of the avatar characters and yeah. um, people that we interview and, you know, this, this uh, competition for musicians to get their songs synced in TV and film shows. Mm -hmm. But it is going to, and I, I mentioned this because it's going to become, you know, this, uh, this meld, melding of your traditional media the digital media, of course, online, mobile, you know, your tablet, live events, it's all going to be in inclusive. Uh, blockchain, of course. NFTs have had a little bit of a lull, uh, but uh, they're going to be coming back. But NFTs with more utility, meaning NFTs that you purchase them and then they allow you to do different things. And so I think that that's going to be the next wave of NFTs. Crypto has already creeped back a bit. And so, you know, it really is exciting to see uh, Braun has just had home run after home run after home run. Sure. And it looks like they're prepped to have another home run with, oh, uh, yeah. with this division. No, oh, yeah, no, they, they definitely are. And thank you so much for that uh, very interesting summaration of <laughs> what is to come, uh, what I like to call the matrix. Eventually, we're going to figure out whether we take that <laughs> green pill or that red pill. And quite frankly, I'm not so sure yet, my okay. friend. I okay. like I like my analog things as well. But uh, you're, you're always very passionate about pushing us into that into that Web3 space. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So uh, speaking of which, and some, somewhere where actually one film that uh, Braun was involved in as part of their slate with Warner Brothers was Joker, which had a splashy premiere, folks remember, at the Venice Film Festival, which yep. recently just announced their new lineup for 2022. And it's going to be really a great festival this year. Alberto Baibera spoke recently with Deadline about their new lineup, which includes... Speaking of technology, Netflix's much-discussed Marilyn Monroe biopic, Blonde, uh, starring Cuban and Spanish actress Ana de Armas. That's going to make a big, splashy premiere at the Venice Film Festival, which many may not know is considered the oldest film festival in the world. And you can see the trailer by Netflix. It's out now, so it will be premiering at Venice, and then it will have its Netflix premiere on September 28th, so you could stream it right away. Uh, Venice, I always give a shout out to my Italian wife, Silvia. Eh, ciao, bella, come stai? Tutto bene. Eh, nostro bambino, <laughs> tutta la familia di Venezia. So, uh, oh, you're bringing me back. Grazie mille, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love you some. So Italy, I live there. It's my favorite thing to say. Come stai, sta bene. Yes. Tutto bene. Molto bene. La vita bella. Molto bene. And, yes. And so another film making a big premiere is Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu's Bardo, 
uh, which is, uh, according to them, very personal and ambitious film that he made, and that's going to be premiering as well. One film, and this will transition to our next story, that they didn't get that they desperately wanted was the new Steven Spielberg film, The Fablemans, which is, again, semi-autobiographical about Spielberg's own life growing up in Arizona post-war, and that was a, a film that was being craved by many of the big film festivals. As we know, Spielberg doesn't tend to do uh, big flashy festival premieres, mainly because he doesn't need it. <laughs> it's Spielberg. <laughs> and that's all you really need to say is a Spielberg film and people buy tickets. Uh, yeah. That said, uh, he is. they did decide to premiere at another major fall festival coming in September, Toronto, which is back and according to its festival director, going to be uh, right up there with some of their biggest pre-COVID festivals, and they're very, very excited about their uh, upcoming lineup, headed by the CEO of TIFF, Cameron Bailey, who recently made his announcement, and as I mentioned, one of the big gets is Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, but they also have Darren Aronofsky coming in with The Whale, Sam Mendes with Empire of Light, Sarah Polly with Women Talking, Gina Prince- Bythewood, I think I said that right, The Woman King, and looks like they're going to have around 200 features, 40 shorts, and uh, according to the safety and protocol, there are going to be no mask mandates, no COVID testing, and trying to get, as we say at MMFM, back to business as well in the fall. Yeah, well, you know, Toronto always has the banner. It is one of the biggest film festivals in the world. Didn't start out that way, and you know, you think about festivals, Sundance, of course, which is, you know, on par with uh, that festival. Um, Toronto Film Festival has become more glitzier, more glamor glamorous. Mm. And, you know, you have not only your independent fair, but you have oftentimes a bigger fair from the studios that launch from sure. TIFF. So, you know, and I love... Yeah. I love I love me some Canada. No, so. absolutely. And it is one of those festivals that the, the studios tend to launch their prestige projects that tend to generate a lot of Oscar buzz afterwards. And Venice does that as well. I believe that's part of the reason why Joker has such a great run and was nominated for so many Academy Awards. And, you know, because of its success at Venice, Toronto, very similar trajectory for the films that premiere there. I'm sure Spielberg is looking for some Oscar love coming out of the festival as well. Not that he needs it, <laughs> but but yes, uh, that's definitely one of the key hallmarks of festivals like Toronto. And we're going to get to Brenda's interview very soon. But she mentioned one of her first big festival experiences was Toronto. Uh, yeah. Mine as well. I, I went to her the first. Yeah, her first. And uh, I don't know what year she went, but I went in the 2010 Toronto Film Festival. I was there for that one. Incredible year. The year of the King's Speech. Uh, ben Affleck was there with the town. Um, Black Swan was there as well. Uh, so it was really a, a banner year uh, for the festival back in 2010. So we are very, very, very excited about what's to come with Toronto this year and very excited about your interview with Brenda Gilbert. Now, I do have to say something. What I really love to see is how these films traverse internationally. So when The Joker came out, I was actually in Venice. I was shooting a documentary. And you know to see how the poster looked in Venice, and then I went to London, see how the poster looked in London, went to Paris. So you know, and not just the poster, but just to see the media and how it plays around the world, you know, really has become, you know, a real global marketplace. And you know, of course, that's exhibited by the shift from domestic box office to global box office, but that does play out in the festivals that plays out in how you market a film, how a film uh, connects. And so, you know, just to connect on, on these particular uh, festivals, you'll be able to see, you know, how the films that then come out from this festival play around the world. So it's exciting stuff. But even more exciting is our interview with Brenda Gilbert, uh, arguably one of the best interviews I've had. So without further ado, Brenda Gilbert. We're good? Okay, here we go. Hi. 
Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. First of all, thank you very much for doing this. My uh, pleasure. Um, so we're here with Brenda Gilbert, co-founder of Braun Media Corporation. So I'm very excited to hear about the media corporation part because when we had conversation, there's many different tentacles to the company. But first, I want to hear about Brenda Gilbert. So uh, where are you from? Where I'm from, uh, born and raised in Vancouver. My lineage is actually the Fiji Islands. So I always like to say I have Indian spice with island flavor. Um, and that's what sort of makes me unique. Um, a lot of people think that I'm from the West Indies or, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. Um, so I basically blend in anywhere. Um, what I like is that it that I can blend in anywhere. Um, and I, I tend to be a little bit immersive um, just because I want to treat people with, you know, dignity and, and respect wherever I go. and. Um, it's really, really important for me to, whether it's a server, whether it's somebody, you know, a custodian that's cleaning up, um, you know, an office and whatnot, is everybody contributes to what we're doing. And it's important for us to lead by example um, and be kind. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And um, so, Fiji, do you make it back there? Um, I, the last time I went was in 1985, so <laughs> I, I was, I was very, very young. I would love to go back and see, you know, my ancestry and, and, and see the island and to experience the food and, and the drinks and, and, and the culture, um, because we don't get that in Canada where I live as much. So if, um, I can embrace my heritage and, and also learn a little bit more about myself, um, so that I can teach that to my children. Yeah, it's a small island, so I'm assuming that there's a lot of connectivity there and across generations that connectivity, I'm quite sure, translates that outreach to people and community and does that inform part of what you do and how you participate in the world? I think so. Um, if I look at um, one of my greatest influences was my grandmother. So she died in November 2000. Um, she was all about community. She had her house open to everybody and anybody and feeding them. So I've sort of taken that on not knowingly. Um, we are sort of the hub. My husband and I basically have an open house with all the kids and, and I cook up a storm and Christmas is one of my favorite holidays. Um, it's all about giving for me and I love to, to make things. So my mom will bring the turkey but I never think there's enough food so I make chicken I'll make fried chicken I also make uh, shrimp and I'll also make fish and I'll also um, make candied yams and scalloped potatoes um, my husband will usually do the broccoli and we make salads and then I make honestly probably about 500 cookies so um, I just love to give I love to cook I love to have fun um, and I just really love to enjoy life because in my industry in our industry it's very very difficult we work very hard but my model is to play harder. Ah, I love it. I love it. And it is a tough industry. I mean, you work long hours. Um, you could be up for days at a time trying to get a project in and trying to get that finished. So, yeah, that is really, really great. That connection to family, I'm sure that they're a rock for you. And we will talk about that momentarily. But let's talk about your upbringing. Let's talk about Vancouver, you as a child and you know, did you have any idea that you were going to go into this industry as a child? Um, it's it's interesting when you reflect as a child and you look at the Hollywood glamour or you look at, you know, possibly being in the fashion industry, possibly being a model, being an actor. Um, and fun fact for, for most people is that I did do some background work um, on a movie called Romeo Must Die um, with Aaliyah and DMX and Jet Li. I love back. that movie. <laughs> oh, great. You're <laughs> yeah. familiar with it. Of course. Um, and of course, my scene got cut out. Um, uh, that's okay. I was okay. I was very um, happy for the experience. I also um, did a mini series with Cicely Tyson, just background um, called Aftershock. And that was in the 90s as well. And quickly learned that I hated being in front of the camera. Um, and the hard work, the long hours, the camaraderie, you know, amongst all the background um, um, crew and also just even the crew itself. I got to know everybody 
quite well. I was, I was just one of those people um, that wasn't intrusive, um, but also loved to get to know people in a way that, you know, talking about their families, getting to know them as people, how long have they been in the industry, but it was also a learning experience for me, is um, I guess that sort of gave segue to my interest in working in production, um, but not necessarily thinking that it would come to fruition because I was quite young when that had happened. So, um, yeah, born and raised in Vancouver, uh, grew up very, um, you know, in a strict household. Um, I was one of those, you know, quirky, nerdy kids that really loved everything. So I did well in school. Um, not an honor roll student. Not, uh, actually, I was an honor roll student, but not honors with distinction, like my 18-year-old my who graduated, um, who has a 97.25% average in grade 12, which is super crazy um, and good for her. Um, but yeah, no, I and I also loved sports. So I played basketball for a little while, um, and then I also loved to sew and I loved to cook. So I was, like I said, one of these quirky, weird kids that just really loved everything and knew that if I put enough hard work into it, that I could succeed. Wow, that's great! And you know, seeing the evolution and seeing you know what your company does, which is a lot of different things, perhaps that was the setup towards that. It's um, maybe, maybe, maybe in part even some of my um, education. So went to school for business, um, have a minor in sociology because I really liked it. And it was interesting in my last year, um, I took as electives is um, human resources and organizational behavior. And organizational behavior was my highest mark that I ever received. Um, I ended up getting an A plus in that in that um, course. And I think with the maybe the movie experience, um, maybe with um, you know the education that I had, maybe led sort of to possibly owning a business, but still didn't didn't think that I would be you know going into that direction. Um, I've always loved movies. I've lo always loved enjoying movie, like watching TV shows and things like that. So I always consume content um, in, a, in a way that, you know, most people may have not done so before. I'd sneak, you know, late at night and watch things when I wasn't supposed to when I was a kid, just because I was lost sometimes in that set with that fantasy world. Um, and did watch, you know, a lot of National Geographic programming as well as a, as a kid, because I was really interested in biopics, um, learning about people's lives. And it was just really interesting to me. Yeah. So you're finishing school. Did you move directly into the industry? What was your trajectory? No, I actually um, wanted to go into fashion design um, and really, really wanted to do that. And at the time, there was only one school in Vancouver that had a very good program. This is I'm talking about a long time ago, so that may date me a little bit. And um, my teacher in grade 12, my design teacher, fashion design teacher said to me is, you're shooing to get into the program. I'm gonna write you a letter of referral. Um, and when I talked to my parents about that, they were just like, mm, you have really good grades. You should go into the direction of business or maybe become a lawyer. So I did listen to them. Uh, and it's interesting because that was at a time where I, you know, I was paying for everything, so for my education, for, you know, for tuition and, and, and whatnot. And it's interesting that I ended up still listening to my parents. I guess it was, you know, an expectation of trying to make sure that, you know, they were happy with what I were doing, what I was doing. Um, but yeah, so just, you know, getting back to, to um, that part of it is that I went um, from there, took some business courses, loved the social, social sciences. So I took psychology, I took criminology, sociology, like I mentioned. Um, really enjoyed that because it was about human behavior and understanding human behavior. And so even with the business courses that I took in business management, we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, extrinsic versus intrinsic rewards. and. You know, of course, we want sustainability in terms of, you know, getting something monetary or compensation. But really, I was looking at 
what makes somebody happy, you know, with their work. And especially in the entertainment industry, we think about our passion for storytelling. We think about our passion to make other people happy. We think about the passion of, you know, communicating to others in a way that can possibly resonate globally. And so um, it didn't happen overnight. Um, it was really when I met my husband and, uh, and then fast forward a number of years that we ended up um, financing um, um, some movies, actually some completion funds, and then um, taking over a production that we um, thought about opening up a studio. And at that time, everything was at and in our house. So essentially bronze started off in our house in a small room and then we ended up getting about 500 square feet of space if that and then you know exceeding or acquiring 500 to 1500 to 2000 3000 5000 um, to uh, 20,000 square feet of space in a city called Burnaby which is 35 minutes 30 minutes east of downtown proper and then we have an office in Los Angeles we have an office in a smaller office in New York Toronto the UK and in London. Yeah. Pardon me, in New Zealand, not London. Oh, wow, that's expensive. <laughs> it's a lot of From your house to four countries, that's, that's something that's else. That's right. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Of course it didn't. <laughs> well, we, we're going to talk about the evolution of that, if you don't mind. Sure. So those first projects, um, can you talk about, I mean, can you name any titles of those first projects that you, uh, you guys were kind of putting out or helping out with? Um, Daydream Nation was one of them that we were helping out with. I mean, that's one of the first films. And that's actually the first time that I had attended a film festival, which is TIFF, the, so the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, and that was so memorable because I remember how nervous I was and what do you do and what do you wear and just just the whole ambiance of it all is, you know, what are the expectations? How many people are attending? Because these are seasoned veterans that yeah. attend. Um, and it's a lot of pressure uh, in terms of being in the same room and also being in the same room where people don't look like me. Yeah. So there's very, very few people of color, let alone a, a woman of color being in that room. So um, that was that was a really incredible and mind-blowing experience for both my husband and I, um, but very exciting at the same time. I want to talk about, so I'm going to kind of reverse it a bit. I'm going to talk about you and your husband. How did you guys meet? Um, you know, it's maybe not the easiest to be in business so intertwined in business with uh, with your partner so can you talk about how that evolved how did you guys say hey let's just do this together um you know the nexus of the relationship <laughs> it's um interesting that you asked that you know how how do we work together how did that evolve how did we say hey we're gonna do this um, Where did you meet? You know? We <laughs> want to know. You want to know the origin story yeah, of the Yeah, the origin story, that's right. We met, uh, if you can believe it, in the spring of 1997, um, just before my birthday in Vancouver. Um, and I was working for a financial consulting group, essentially a merchant bank. So our specialty was mergers and acquisitions. And he, um, my husband, Aaron, who is also the co-founder of, uh, my fellow co-founder of the company, um, he was a client for our in-house legal counsel. So our in-house lawyer had his own clients as well. And and it was a small organization, a very small firm, about six of us. And everybody knew everybody. So if you had somebody coming in, you introduced them to the other person. Um, and that's when, where we had met. And at the time, um, Aaron was um, in music. So he was a music supervisor for film. He also had his own catalog of music. Um, and, and of course, he won me over because he's like, yeah, I love R&B and I like hip hop and I like jazz. So he, he found some commonality very quickly. Wow, that's great. And so it just blossomed from there. Um, so can you talk a little bit about you all going into business together and how that evolved and and I know uh, your company is one of the most important companies um, in this industry but you know there's bumps and bruises I'm quite sure um, even with you know accolades and you know growth and, and those things so you know it's it's it's, it's very interesting when you talk about working with a partner. 
Um, and the name Bron, B-R-O-N, is a play on letters. So the B-R is for Brenda, and the O-N is for the last two letters of Aaron, and that's how that came together. So it was very natural that if we had a name that was coming together, that we would be working together. Um, I say natural, but maybe it's not so natural in terms of the interworkings of how, how we started working together is I knew that I always had very strong administrative skills, but also in the early days, you know, looking at business plans and how do we put things together, but also how do we put together decks and things like that for particular projects. Um, and Aaron is very good in terms of raising financing and deal negotiations and things like that. So it was a way of putting together our skill sets. And, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't easy. It wasn't this sort of, you know, this sort of, um, let's just say less rocky road of coming together. It was more so is we were able to identify what we were good at and what we weren't. Um, and also a lesson to be learned for other people is that you can't, because just because you're married doesn't mean you should be talking about work every day, you know, at 10 o'clock at night and whatever else. So we have this golden rule that we try to abide by is we have to ask each other whether we want to talk about work right now. And of course, in some cases, if there's deadlines and things like that that need to be met, then of course, you know, um, we, we sort of um, say, yes, that's okay. But yeah, it's um, how, you know, we came together, we worked together, we have to, we learned over time how do we complement each other. In the early days, you know, we didn't have people that were part of or delegated to film or TV or operations or legal and business affairs. Essentially, we were doing a lot of our own things together. And obviously, where a lawyer was needed or accountant was needed, you know, we'd all, we'd, we'd um, you know, um, get those services there. And so at one point in time, you know, I was doing human resources, I was doing operations, I was doing facilities, I was looking at business summaries, I was, you know, doing all these like five different jobs essentially, but you do what you have to do as an owner of a company, as a major stakeholder of a company. Yeah, so uh, I am going to get into the company itself and the different things that you guys do, but certainly, I mean, you have a beautiful family and, you know, I follow you on Instagram and I see quite often that, you know, your family is there and, you know, it feels as though, you know, your family is an integral part of what you do. And it's like family first. Um, beautiful, beautiful family. Um, can you talk about this integration of family and being able to balance that? Uh, you have three children? Is I have that three right? children. Yeah. How, balancing that. I mean, three children is... I have two, but I have an older daughter that's on her way out, and I have a two-year-old. And, you know, that's tough, even with one child. Um, can you talk about that balance? Yeah, thank you, Kevin. I do have uh, three beautiful children, um, and family is always first for me. So how I balance things is, um, even while I'm at different festivals, uh, I call them every single day and try to FaceTime them. Um, send them notes, send them texts all the time. Every single day I tell my children that I love them and even my 21 year old still hugs and kisses me and hugs me. Um, so, you know, there is bountiful amounts of love in our house. Um, and the way that we also balance things is we, we talk about our days. You know, even from afar and when we're together, I used to do this thing with our children where we talk about our ups and downs of the day. So we sit at the dinner table and even to this day, the rule is all electronics go away. Just because you need to be present, you need to have a conversation with each other, you need to not engage or distracted by any noise that your phone or iPad or whatever is making. And, and, and that's, that's how you balance things is, and you also for us is that bringing them to events. So my girls were with me last week in L.A. at the Oscar Michelle Film Festival. Um, they come to screenings and premieres with us as well whenever they can, as long as it doesn't interfere with their school. And, you know, they're in so many different um, activities themselves. Um, so they are really part of what we're doing. And when we incorporated the company in September of 2009, my youngest wasn't even a month old. Oh. I had a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. When we opened up the shops officially in October 2010, then, you know, they were a little bit older. So that was, I think, 
in the beginning it was a lot harder because they were younger and you were trying to entrust somebody to take care of your children while you were at the office um so and at the time technology wasn't as advanced as it is right now and then we've learned from the pandemic you know by way of zoom calls and things like that that wasn't a thing back then Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny to think that it wasn't that long ago, and yet it seems like a long ago when I'm talking about technology. Yeah. So, wow, this is great, being able to you know, strike this balance and get the children involved in what you're doing and you know, having them uh, have the ability to connect in that way. So kudos to you for that uh, and your husband. Uh, I do want to talk about Braun. Uh, I guess... Maybe it's my favorite uh, company um, because it really feels like an artist-centric company. You know, like you take care of the stories that you put out and you put out stories that, you know, have a diversity on a lot of different levels. So um, I can talk about one of my favorite films, uh, The Joker, which I believe you guys were involved in that film. And then The Range, so Judas and the Black Messiah, very different films. Both of the films did very well. Um, and then The Willoughbys, mm-hmm. um, which is an animated film, quite different than the other two. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to take those three projects and, you know, I just want to hear what you were able to do to. Uh, intersect in those projects, um, how they evolved, how they came about, and then even the decision to venture into those areas. Mm-hmm. The Joker was part of a slate deal with Warner Brothers, and obviously we wanted to get really involved with the Joker because it really dove deep into the emotionality and men- mental illness um, of, 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 of someone um, and, and give it that sort of realism to it where people weren't talking about things, um, weren't because it was stigmatized. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about those things or it's in your head and whatnot, but yet individuals all over North America and globally are suffering from mental illness. And it was very, very important for us to be a part of it. And who better to play the role of the Joker but Joaquin Phoenix, who was incredible. He embodied the role in such a way that you were left speechless, you were left breathless, you were left like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that he just did something that evokes so much emotion from me and everybody else. Um, And I'd watched it multiple times, and of course when you watch a movie multiple times you see more things. So The Joker, we were a part of that production uh, and it received multiple award nominations, which which it, it does in, in part to our studio partners and filmmaker and, and, and of course, um, the talent that's attached to it. Um, with respect to Judas and the Black Messiah, we really wanted to be part of this film um, for multiple reasons is, you know, telling the story of Fred Hampton um, and, and telling aspects of his life where he was a man first and foremost, um, and he was not a villain, he wasn't a vigilante, he wanted equality for all. And what most people don't know is that he, you know, um, locked arms with Hispanics, he locked arms with people that were of European descent. Um, And because the police, because people that were um, not of color were so afraid of him, there was this propaganda against him. And so we partnered up with um, participant and we partnered up with Macro because we've known their legacy as well in terms of filmmaking and social impact. Um, And we also know them as people. Um, first and foremost and we really wanted to collaborate with them on that film and and the talent is beyond exceptional on that film Um, we're happy that it resonated not just in you know Canada and the US it resonated worldwide because it was an impactful story and we have to think about it first and foremost that this was a man and his presence his legacy still continues on with respect to the Willoughbys, um, very proud of that show, and it is all about family, and it is all about love, and it is all about not feeling the sense of belonging, um, and it's quirky, 
Um, we optioned the book in 2015. Um, it's by Lois Lowry, and it um, uh, premiered on Netflix uh, in April of 2020 um, during the height of the pandemic. So I had a lot of people reach out to me saying, thank goodness you did that because my I'm so tired of everything else that's on these different platforms or I'm rewatching so many different movies um, that I want to watch something else and it was just you really unique and we had a wonderful crew that worked on it uh, at Braun um, and uh, Chris Pern was the director who is um, so talented um, the artistry the imagery um, the colors schemes and things like that that's really attributed to our artists yeah um so critical praise for all of the those projects and um you know i believe they all did well uh commercially so in your company there's different divisions can you talk about the divisions and how they work independently and how they work together yeah absolutely a few years back we decided to um, incorporate Braun Media Corporation as the parent company. So initially it was Braun Studios where all projects would flow through and that's the company that we'd produce through. And we decided to incorporate Braun Media Corporation because we felt that it needed to be a delineation in terms of our role um, and the type of project. So whether we take a lead producer role, whether we're day-to-day -day on a project or whether um, we're providing financing. So um, Braun Studios is our film and TV division, and that's for um, both narrative, both live action and non-scripted. And we, um, during the pandemic, launched a company called Braun Life, which is our non-scripted side of things. Um, then we have Braun Animation for animated content. Um, and then we uh, also launched another division under Braun Animation called Braun Digital. So that's um, uh, for premium animated or movie series with um, um, with the support, the great support of uh, Epic Games, who really helped us establish our production pipeline. Um, and it has evolved because of their support and led by um, our colleague Jason Chen for Braun Digital. And then separate from that, we have another division of Braun called Braun Creative, which we call our financing arm. So if you do see a Judas and the Black Messiah, a Joker, a Respect, House of Gucci, Licorice Pizza, it's because of our collaborations with studios and we're not necessarily day-to-day -day on those productions, um, but still want to be part of those productions because of the stories, because also of our partnerships, um, and also working with great filmmakers um, and talent. And then separate from that, we have an investment arm of the company called Braun Ventures, and we've invested in different production companies and media tech companies as well. For the production side of things is, why would we invest? And it's because to give people opportunity and access because um, they want to do something that may be independent of a studio system. Um, maybe they want some creative freedom, and they also need help. So they mm -hmm. need help in terms of infrastructure. So we have in-house legal business affairs and post-production finance services as well. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> Starting from a bedroom, a room in your house. That's right. <laughs> that's incredible. So no, I'm not going to take up all your time. I have two more. No worries. I'm, okay. I'm good. Oh, you're good. I'm truly good. Okay. Um, so can we talk about the future so what do you guys have moving into the future and we can talk about i know uh metaverse is not uh necessarily directly your uh particular wheelhouse but you guys are involved in you know a lot of these future leaning things metaverse nfts um you know touching on what is going to shape the entertainment industry moving into the future yeah, absolutely. Um, what we've done is we're looking at growing our digital animation side of things. And with that comes Web3 and Metaverse and tokenized economies. Um, and, and the cool thing about what we're doing with the animation using the Unreal Game Engine is that we can repurpose those assets for gaming. 
and for NFTs and, and things like that. So that um, we're looking at much more, not a passive experience, we're looking at much more immersive experiences for individuals um, and for something for them to get excited about. Um, and, and we also are looking at direct-to-consumer relationships in emerging markets, um, particularly Africa and India. So looking at sales and distribution, streaming, content, again, Web3, um, it's, it's just really, really important because there are consumers everywhere and it also opens up the world to individuals in terms of, again, opportunity and access. Um, and then the other thing is we are growing our TV side of things and our non-scripted business. Yeah, that's exciting because the stories that I've experienced from your company, I've loved every single thing. And so you all moving into those spaces, I already know that I'm going to have to connect with those experiences as well. We always end our interviews. Our one of our biggest pushes is, you know, outreach to our audience. So um, we usually enter, you know, we end them with two questions, but I'm just going to do one of the questions, which is what advice would you give to people getting into the industry? people that want to get into the industry and even the people that are already in an industry? Mm. Um, the advice that I can give to people is, you know, finding community because um, community is unity and unity is community and really for uh, finding that support group. And it took me many years to find that. Um, quite candidly, like that authenticity, um, individuals that just really support you, and and also to give you constructive feedback, which is really important because you got to be real, you got to be realistic about your expectations. Um, the my guiding principles for anybody, whether they are starting off in the industry um, or whether they have been in the industry for decades, is is my my five P's. I call it. And I call it um, my passion for something. Passion and purpose is what am I wanting to do? What am I excited about um, when I wake up in the morning? And even if I'm tired is I'm excited to go to bed thinking that I've accomplished something um, and staying true to it. And, and what is the purpose with that? The purpose is am I trying to reach an audience? Am I doing it for myself? Am I doing it, you know, trying to get into a partnership with somebody? Um, you know, those types of things. And then the, the third and fourth is patience and perseverance is that this industry is not easy you know, not to say that other industries are easy as well um, we got to work hard at what we do and I know so many people are and it's not an easy ride up right you're not taking the elevator ride up you have to climb each rung of the ladder and I tell my children this every single day is that you know you're not getting handouts you need to work you need to experience you need to understand what you know what everybody does on a set and you also need to understand is how does everything come together um, in, in a production? You treat people how you want to be treated with dignity and respect, which is first and foremost. Um, that's really, really important. And then my, my fifth P is poise. If you really believe in yourself and you really believe that you're worthy and you really believe in everything that you're doing is keep your poise. Be confident. Wow. <laughs> that is an incredible way to end this interview. Um, I do always open it up if you have any additional you know, thoughts or anything that you'd like to add. I just, I just really want people to really believe in themselves. Um, that's really important. You know, you are worthy. I believe everybody's worthy. I believe everybody's beautiful. I believe everybody is intelligent. And I believe you can do anything that you want to do. Amazing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm inspired. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Brenda Gilbert. Um, this has been uh, a real treat. Thank you, Kevin. And we're back. Woo! Told you. Well done. Again, well done. That yeah, was thanks, a, a really great interview that was recorded live at the Miami Media Film Market. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, I was up moderating so many panels, but you did a yeoman's work in getting these interviews, particularly this one with Brenda. Uh, just so many great insights, not only into her career, but obviously into her family life and how those were kind of interwoven into the overall kaleidoscope of what has become the Braun Media Corporation. Yeah, and life in general, and what great advice that she gave. I mean, you know, it's applicable to people who are just starting. It's applicable to people who are in the business and have been in the business. So, mm -hmm. 
you know, I have to say, again, you know, one of one of the best that I've done, and I've done a lot of interviews. Speaking of bests, mm. Tom, the oh. words MF came in my mind, but I'm not going <laughs> to say it. You can remember this is the internet. It is, but uh, <laughs> cruise, cruising, right. cruising through the box office. Yeah. Yeah, an incredible run. Uh, of just, just you know, this is like you know Mach five in terms of box <laughs> office, and Tom Cruise just continues to to just show why you know theatrical distribution is not only surviving post COVID but really thriving. You know, and again, kudos for him. This is even though it is a franchise, it is a sequel. It's a big Paramount Studio movie. It's not. An, a superhero movie, which we're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, it is based really on just the star power and what, you know, folks are referring to as one of the last great movie stars in Tom Cruise and his ability to open wide and open big and really make this film for a truly global audience to the tune of now getting close to $1.3 billion worldwide billion in theatrical. Dollars. Yes, like I said, you know, enough to make Dr. Evil jealous, $1 billion. <laughs> uh, and it's just, you know, massive numbers. And, you know, by far Tom Cruise's biggest film of his career in terms of commercial box office, even he is actually starting to get some Oscar buzz saying that this might even be the best chance for him to get nominated for uh, what I like to refer to as the little bald man. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there if he gets some Oscar love, but definitely he's getting love from his fans, from audiences worldwide that are just flocking to see this movie in theaters. It's not day and date, not available on any streaming platform, at least not legally. And it's just out there in the world collecting dollar after dollar. Uh, I'm sure eventually it will make its way onto Paramount Plus, but for now they're just enjoying the ride. Yeah, you got to milk it. You got to milk it. Now, I haven't seen it because, you know, my little baby daughter, but I'll be able to see it next week. Well, I'm but, sure eventually your baby daughter will have the need for speed as well. So you can catch yeah, her up when, yeah. when she's a yeah, little one older. Day, <laughs> one day, but, you know, I got to see it on the biggest screen with the loudest volume as possible. Mm. But, um, you know, they're, they're talking Oscar buzz. How do you feel? How did you feel about the performance? I thought it was great. Like I did see the film and it is a tour de force. It's a great performance. It's a throwback to those classic Hollywood movies of the eighties and nineties. Uh, it's a thrill ride. It's, you know, I thought his performance was very nuanced. I thought he was able to sort of now adapt into this sort of older mentor, like the student becomes the teacher, you know, while still being in action, you know, very much, uh, a Yoda kind of role for him in training the next generation of young fighter pilots, which I thought were organically diverse. I didn't think anything was force fed to the audience. And so I thought that, again, the storyline felt very organic to the franchise. I thought his role was, you know, a lot of the sort of plot points were similar to the first film in that sense. And, and but again, you know, I thought his role is specifically and how he was able to grow into it. Plus, and I won't give him any spoilers, one of the best moments for me was that reunion with with Val Kilmer and ah uh, uh, yeah oh, the Iceman like that really got me <laughs> that one really got me. yeah I hear a little a little choking even yeah. right now <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't cry <laughs> I'll give you a topic <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, absolutely. It, it was just, you know, for me, a great film. Again, I was a big fan of the original film growing up and watching that film when I was much younger and to see after, I think, what, like 30 odd something years for them to come back uh, in stride, uh, a film that was long gestating, right? You know, they had completed, I think, principal photography back in 2019 just for the shutdown it was supposed to have a big premiere in 2020 like many things including the film I made with J.R. Marcus everything pushed and yep. finally got its debut in 2022 and what an opening and and what a ride for this film so you know kudos for Tom Cruise and Paramount you know Jerry Bruckheimer uh, who's also a big fan of Miami and and everyone else on that team for just an amazing job and and the cast as well and, and the entire crew just fantastic phenomenal all around you know so two thumbs up for me my friend <laughs> what a review they need to put that one if they release your review which you know to be on the next screen in miami rotten tomatoes you, yeah, <laughs> make another billion dollars just just hearing hearing that review Absolutely. people will reflock re to the theaters um but there is a movie that i've been anticipating a lot of people have been anticipating and that is 
Wakanda Forever, which is the second in the installment of the Black Panther uh, films. And man, the teaser came out over the weekend. The teaser hmm. looks like a movie in and of itself. I oh, mean, yeah. they packed so much in that teaser. And I can tell you, I've been looking at people's responses and I'm hearing everything, tears, of course, on, you know, RIP Chadwick Boseman, who, mm. you know, was largely responsible for the, the, the success. Ryan Coogler, of course, the director, but, uh, you know, he is very much missed. Uh, what other responses you're hearing are some of the characters that are appearing. And, and I think, you know, a lot of the fans already knew some of the characters. And if you're a Marvel fan, you're familiar with a lot of these characters. But before I get to those characters, let's hear your take, uh, Mr. Martinez. Well, no, yeah, like I said, just seeing the trailer, very powerful, this uh, sequel teaser trailer. I love the soundtrack, obviously, this sort of uh, remake of, of the classic Bob Marley song, No Woman, No Cry. Just like I said, I was watching it just gave me goosebumps. And just to kind of see how they're able to sort of evolve the franchise in consideration of what you mentioned about its star, Chadwick Boseman, no longer being with us, just definitely legendary actor that did so much in what we felt was such a short amount of time right we wanted to see so much more from this actor and i thought it was sort of played a double role it felt like almost a chi uh, a tribute to him while mm -hmm. also just kind of elegantly evolving the storylines in the franchise and you can kind of see where it's going but i'm sure there'll be a lot of twists and turns tying into this sort of next phase of the marvel cinematic universe yeah and you know when i think about the song which is, you know, classic, you know, Bob Marley uh, did the, the classic version of it. But they also, if you heard at the very end, it's Kendrick Lamar. So that is, you know, moving it to the next phase. Right. Handing over the torch. And so when I watch the trailer, you know, everybody's wondering who's going to be the next Black Panther or if, even if they're going to have a, another Black Panther. And at the very end of the teaser, you do see the costume. Now, I can tell you, my gut tells me that it's going to be uh, his sister. In the comics, that's who it is. You know, that's who gets the torch. But sure. if you look at uh, the person and the costume, it looks like a pretty thin person, even though they're trying to, you know, they cut it where it's just a quarter, you know, not even really a half, but a quarter of whoever it is. Um, it still looks like someone that's very thin. Now, you never know. You know, a lot of people are on the fence about whether they should re just reprise the character as someone else or whether they follow the comics. So we'll see. But I can tell you, um, that's an exciting point. Right. Another exciting point, Namor. So anyone who knows the comics, Namor is the equivalent of Aquaman for the Marvel Universe. But mm -hmm. the difference is Aquaman is good, Namor is not. Now, he's not necessarily evil either. He's more for his race. And they feel that the earth dwellers have raped and pillaged the earth. And they need to correct that and correct them. Right. So it's a vendetta that mm -hmm. Namor has more than, you know, just someone that's evil that's trying to destroy. Right. And you know, the way that they're already depicting Namor in that teaser, man, it just looks electric. Right. Another character that appears in the teaser is Ironheart. And if you don't know who Ironheart is, it's a girl uh, of African-American heritage that in high school, she builds an Iron Man costume. And she takes Iron Man's place for a while. You know, brilliant genius. And so, you know, just the combination of those characters in this teaser, that's really already setting it off. And of course, the other elements, I mean, you know, you can see the teaser for yourself and there's a lot of theories uh, buzzing around. I've only seen it myself about, you know, 35 times. So I can only say just a little bit, but, uh, you know, super duper excited about that. And uh, Kevin Feige announced uh, phase five and a little bit of phase six. Uh, in uh, the evolution of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
And he's considering this the multiverse mm. phase. That's yes. what they're calling it. The Web3 phase. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right up with the times, pushing the times. And I, I can say, man, I really do love the way that they've developed, you know, all the Marvel offerings. And I tell my students all the time, a big success of Marvel is it's not just that they focused on the superpowers. It's not that they just focused on, you know, the comic characters. Mm. Every single Marvel movie has a genre in right. it. Uh, the first Iron Man, you know, is an action adventure. Yeah. Uh, the first Captain America is a period piece. Uh, the first Thor was fantasy. Thor has now moved into comedy. Guardians of the Galaxy is comedy. Ant-Man is for kids. And it's a focus on the human condition. That's why, you know, the actors that uh, they bring into the cinematic universe, they need, they need those good actors that can relate more of what the human condition is. And that's what helps to draw people in. It becomes less about the powers and more about the struggles that we have, you know, inner turmoil, uh, struggling with, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, strife mm -hmm. and the things that go along with being human, or I mean, in some case, aliens, but, you know, it's presupposing that uh, as uh, 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 entities, you know, as, as, as beings, sentient beings, that we share a lot of these, uh, a lot of these characteristics. And for me, that's what's been successful about Marvel. Of course, it's always cool to see superpowers and lasers and all that stuff and, you know, spaceships and go out in space. But how many movies, how many TV shows that have all the bells and whistles uh, have not made it? Right. And, and so, you know, you have to really give it up. You know, there's some critics out there that say, you know, they're making these movies that, you know, they're really just, you know, cookie cutter and, you know, people are just going out to see them because of, you know, the superpowers and these things. But or as Corsese said, true, the, uh, the theme park rides. <laughs> oh, or <Marty>. that, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But if that was the case, then all of these films would do well. You know, right. there's films that have spent as much money and just have not. And so, you know, I really have to give it, give it up. I'm just going to go really, really fast over um, these offerings. In phase six, Ant-Man and Wasp, uh, Secret Invasion. It's a new series that features uh, characters who first met in Captain Marvel. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, we all know those. Echo, which is the next in the Hawkeye series, which is on Disney+. Plus. Right. Loki season two, which is Disney+. Plus, and that is um, just uh, uh, both of those, you know, were done so well, so well. Uh, the Marvels, Blade, can't wait. Mahershala Ali is uh, playing Blade. Wow. So, yeah, can't wait to see that one. Ironheart, who I just mentioned. So, you know, that's probably why they're um, bringing her, at least in this first film. They often do that. Uh, they'll just tease a character first in, in one film and then bring them out later. Um, Agatha Coven of Chaos. Daredevil is back. Mm. They pulled Daredevil. I don't know if you saw the Daredevil series on Netflix. That, that was my favorite. It was my favorite. And so uh, they pulled Daredevil and all of their offerings from Netflix. And boom, here we go. Captain America, New World Order. It's the first one that Captain America is not Chris Evans. And we know now who Captain America is. Um, and what's really cool, you know, uh, Falcon has the wings. He has also the, he doesn't have the serum. So the super serum, but he does have the shield. Uh, Thunderbolts. Fantastic Four, bringing it back. And then Avengers, the King Dynasty, and Avengers Secret Wars, which um, I don't know what Secret Wars is about, but I, I, I'm thinking they're probably going to the Shi'ar Dynasty. So I'm kind of geeking out on that. So I'm excited, man. Yes. Yeah. No, this is all very, very exciting, my friend, as you have uh, so eloquently uh, 
mentioned that this is definitely uh, up there with some of the greatest offerings that Marvel uh, has ever had. Obviously, a testament goes out to, again, Kevin Feige and everything he's put together with his team over there. And it does feel like maybe they took some of Marty's advice and these storylines are going to go a little deeper, uh, a little bit more emotional, a little bit more capturing the essence of the human experience beyond all sort of the loud explosions and the thrill rides that we've uh, learn to also be a part of these big superhero movies. So uh, very exciting uh, in all the forms of the new incarnation of Marvel. And uh, we'll see, we'll see. But it's it's all very, very big, very exciting things. Absolutely. And uh, very big, very exciting episode. Uh, very big, very exciting coming post MMFM, which, mm. you know, what a comeback from virtual to the real world. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll just keep going big here yes. at Screen Heat Miami. We always do, my friend. And more to come. You had a couple more interviews. We'll just tease it from the MMFM, which is going to be bringing you in the coming weeks. Until then, I am your co-host, JL Martinez. I'm Kevin Sharpley. We'll see you on the next one. Boom. Dolly.